Heavenly Father, we thank you that you knew exactly what we needed and you sent exactly who we needed. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. I pray that we would not only learn more today about what, what happened when Jesus came, but that our hearts would be encouraged to keep walking with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know the way? It's an important question when you're driving, right? How many of you, uh, you know, I don't always ask, I'm going to ask it this way. Wives, raise your hand if your husband does not like to ask for directions. Okay, do we have any of those in here? Your husband does not like to ask for directions. Okay. You know, <laughs> Daryl, are you raising Valerie's hand? Does that work? Okay. Um, you know, maybe you have to take away my man card for this one, but I don't mind asking for directions because I like to know where I'm going. Uh, in fact, uh, when Christine and I were dating, we, I, I told her of the rule in my car, and she was a little bit hesitant at first, but the rule in my car is that the person who's sitting in the passenger seat in, in the front is the navigator because I'm driving. I, I can't be you know, looking at a map all the time, but I want to know the right way to go. So Christine, to her credit, has done a great job at this. She has learned how to read a map, and uh, now she knows how to read her phone. And uh, <laughs> when the voice on her phone says turn left, she tells me to turn left. And I trust her more than I trust the phone. Uh, but I like to know where I'm going. Now, although there was a story about this, and don't ever do this one to anybody. This is a bad practical joke, but I was on a uh, college spring break trip with one of my buddies, and he was in the navigator's seat, and we were in a big city that I had never driven in before, and we come up to an intersection, and he says, turn left. So I quick turn left, and he says, ha, just kidding, it's a one way, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> like, not funny, okay? <sighs> now, when you're driving, it is important both to know where you're going and how you will get there. Now, spiritually speaking, it couldn't be any more important for us to know where we are going and how we will get there. So, how do we get to heaven? Now, that was one of the key questions, if not the key question of the Reformation 500 years ago. And again, for Martin Luther, it was a personal question because the answer that he was given for how he would go to heaven was not an answer that, that satisfied him. And I would say at that time, it was, it was not the right answer that he was given. So it becomes super important for us to figure out that question, how can we get to heaven? Now, we're doing a, a series here at Cornerstone entitled The Five Alones. You can see that on the screen up there. It's a series in which we're looking at some of the most important results of the Reformation. And, and let me just, I, I, I'm trying to be very clear on this. So uh, I'm trying to be charitable and trying to understand also, and I, the way I think of it is this way. If there are any Catholics who are listening to this sermon, I would hope two things. I would hope, number one, that, that a Catholic would recognize the need for the Catholic Church to be reformed 500 years ago. There were, there were some terrible things going on that, that needed reformation. And then the second thing I would say, if there's any Catholics listening, would be that I would want you to see what the Bible says about Christ alone. That's where we're at today. We're in the, the third of these five alones where we're going to look at Christ alone. Because the answer to the question, how do we get to heaven, has to do with Christ alone. Now, let's, let's look at a contrast for a moment. The question is, how can we get to heaven? There have been all sorts of other answers that have been given all throughout history. Whether it's, you know, we can look in the Bible even and see the Pharisees who attempted to earn a righteousness of their own. Or in Martin Luther's day, his, his, he was told, follow the seven sacraments. Or 
we can even think about our day. We could even think about somebody coming to Cornerstone Church and perhaps getting confused about it. Because think about this. We have six core values here at Cornerstone, and I'm sure you could all mention them with me, but I'll just say them for you. Uh, worship, prayer, the word, evangelism, fellowship, and service. We think that those six things are important for us to do as Christians. But what I hope that nobody would hear us saying at Cornerstone is that do those six things and you'll go to heaven. But think about this. Think about how many people, whether it's people who, who go to church or people who call themselves Christians, assume that their ticket into heaven is going to be based on how well they've done at things like that. Or they could say that their ticket into heaven will be based on how good of a person they are. Or how not bad of a person they are. That's what some people think. If I stay away from doing some things, then God will let me into heaven. Well, all throughout human history, there have been other answers to that question, how do we get into heaven? And we need to know the right answer. In fact, to me, that's the purpose of why we're doing this series here on the five alones, is because I want every one of us to be able to look at, at any one of those and say, why is it that we need faith alone? Why is it that our works will not work to get us to heaven? Why do we need scripture? Why do we need Christ? That's, and that's where we're going today. Christ alone now, let me just say one other thing about the Reformation. Like I've, I've already mentioned, the Reformation was important 500 years ago because the church needed it. I would say one of the best things that came out of the Reformation is this idea that the church always needs to be reforming. So as we stand here today, I hope that one of our prayers would be to say, God, change us. If there's anything in us that needs to be changed, would you please do it? If there is any lie that we've been believing if there is any truth that we have not been living out the way that we should, God, would you please reform us? And I mean that as a church, that if there's things that aren't going right here at Cornerstone, that we would change, and I mean that individually. If there's things in, in any of our hearts that need to be changed, that we would let God do his work to change us. So getting back to our question, how do we get to heaven? Again, one of the best things that came out of the Reformation was this clarity on our need for Christ alone. And that's where we're going to go today. I want to look at uh, three places in the Bible that emphasize our need for Jesus Christ and for him alone. So the first one is in John 14. And it shows us there that Jesus is the only way. So I want to read for you now John 14 verses 1 through 10. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before he was crucified. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. 
Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So in verses 1 through 3 of this passage, Jesus beautifully promises heaven to his followers. And just look at those promises again. Isn't it wonderful to know what Jesus has promised to those who believe in him? And and right away, he emphasizes this idea of belief. In verse 1, he says, Trust in God, trust also in me. That word trust, most of the time you see it in the Bible, whether it's trust or believe or faith, it comes from the same word. And here again is Jesus emphasizing our need for what we would say is faith alone. We trust in God alone to, to bring us salvation. That was one of the key points of the Reformation 500 years ago, and it's something we need to remember still today. And then in verse 2, Jesus told his followers what he would do to prepare a place for them. Jesus gave a wonderful comfort again to his followers, that those of us who are with him, he will prepare a place for us. Doesn't that sound awesome? Jesus preparing a place for us to dwell eternally with God. At Cornerstone, I often say that the biggest blessing in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. And one of the reasons I say it is because that's the purpose of the gospel message, is that our sins would be cleansed so that we can be made right, made holy, so that we can live with God forever. So in in these verses, we see Jesus comforting his followers by telling them and by telling us that he is preparing a place for us. And then he says in verse 3, that he's going to come back and take his followers to be with him. So we we believe in the second coming. We believe in a time when Jesus will come. We believe in a time when everything will be made new. Think about all the things that are not new here. Think about the things that are not going well here and think that God will make everything new. It's a wonderful promise. Now, just one note here. Some of you may have memorized verse 2. Instead of many rooms, you've memorized it as many mansions. I would like to suggest that mansions may not be the right translation there. The the Latin word actually sounds a lot like the word for mansions, but the word just simply means a place to dwell. So the idea here is that Jesus is preparing a place for us to dwell with him, with the Father, with all other believers forever. And it's a wonderful deal. And then in verse 4, Jesus said, You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, in one sense, Jesus is being very clear here. He'd already been talking about heaven, so his followers should have understood that that he was talking about heaven, and his followers, after following him for years, should have known that Jesus was the only way to get there. But at the same time, I also can understand how Thomas and the rest of the disciples might have had some questions. Maybe it's like when you're driving somewhere and somebody gives you a list of directions and you kind of think, okay, I think I have that, but actually I think I don't, so give it to me again. I kind of think that that's what Thomas is doing here. He's, he's letting Jesus know that he doesn't quite understand. So he says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going So how can we know the way? It's a good question, right? If you don't know either the destination or how to get there, that's a problem. But Jesus' answer in verse 6 is truly remarkable. And this is one of those verses that I think that uh, you would do very well to memorize. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now one of the things I like about this verse is that Jesus didn't just tell them the way he told them that he himself is the way the way that we have eternal life is through believing in Jesus 
knowing him as our Savior and Lord, and following him. That is the way. And as we do life with Jesus, he also leads us into truth and life. And then let me point out one other important thing about this verse. Jesus said that he is the way. He didn't intend to imply that there are other possible ways to the Father. No, he he made that very clear at the end of the verse where he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, at that point, some people would bristle at us to suggest that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. What about all those other people out there, those other well-meaning people from other religions or those people who have never heard of Jesus? And, And people get upset with us because they would say that we are being exclusive saying that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. And let me answer that by saying, yes, it is exclusive. Jesus is the only way. There's no other way that will work. But I'd also like to suggest to you that it's an inclusive offer, because what does the rest of Scripture say? John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that, what's the next word? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So yes, Jesus is the only way, but whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And I think that we need to maintain both that exclusivity that it's only through Jesus, but also that inclusivity that we extend that offer of the gospel to other people and trust that God is doing his work in their hearts to draw people to Jesus. So I've got an analogy for this one, and I want to use it. It's on this idea of this exclusive claim. Um that Jesus is the only way. So I want you to picture a man on a cruise ship. And let's say there's a bunch of people on the top deck of the cruise ship, and they're all having a good time up there. And uh, let's say that a couple of them are playing football, and uh, they throw a pass to this guy, and it's a little high, and he, he jumps for it, and he falls off, and he falls into the water. And all these people see what's going on there, and their, their immediate instinct is to say, I want to save him. So all 100 of those people, they grab something from up there. Like one of them grabs a lawn chair and they throw it out. Another one, they're they're grabbing whatever they can, like maybe a toaster, and they throw it out. One guy thinks to go and grab a life preserver that's connected to the boat. Now, let's say that in this analogy, there's no other rescue boat coming, and and maybe the uh, the captain of the ship doesn't know what's going on, but the, the boat's just going away. And those other 99 things that were thrown into the water, although they may have been thrown with good intentions, if the guy grabs onto the toaster, it's not going to do him any good. Or, or let's even say that somebody throws out a life preserver to him, but it's not connected to the boat. That might do him a little good for a little while, but it might just do him a little good until the sharks find him. So the only one that's going to work, in this analogy at least, is the one that both floats and is connected to the boat. I know I sounded very Minnesotan when I said it floats and it's connected to the boat, eh? But uh, don't you know? Well, here's the deal. We had all sinned. Every one of us had fallen off the boat. Every single one of us had offended God. And the Bible is very clear on this, that we had earned a death penalty, that we would have been separated from God forever. Now, there are other answers out there about how we could receive eternal life. There are people who would come to us compassionately and say, here, try this. But there is only one way that works, and it's only through what Jesus Christ did for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. He took our sin penalty upon himself and died for us so that we could be saved. So when he himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, it's actually a very compassionate thing that he has said to tell us the truth of how we can be saved. 
You see, God's plan of salvation wasn't that we would try our hardest and earn our way to him. If we go back to our analogy, like one of the people up there saying, just keep swimming faster. It's not going to work. And, and I, I was thinking about it this way earlier this week. What if, what if our way to salvation was that we tried our hardest to earn our way to God? What would happen then when, when we got up to heaven? Who would get the glory for that? If we could go up to heaven and say, I did it, look at me, I made it because I was good enough, who would get the glory for that? See, God's plan is that Jesus Christ would be glorified, that God himself would be glorified, and that we would recognize our need for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's move on quickly to look at verses 7 through 10. In, in verse 7, Jesus tells us that there's this connection between knowing him and knowing the Father. And that has to do with the connection amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, we come into a relationship with each member of the Trinity. But Philip didn't quite understand it yet, so in verse 8 he asked a question, Lord, I guess it's a statement, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responded in verses 9 through 10 that anyone who had seen him had seen the Father. Now, let me just clarify one thing then. When, when we say Christ alone, we don't mean that to the exclusion of the Father or of the Holy Spirit. We're not suggesting that we only need one member of the Trinity. We're actually including God's entire plan in all of this. We're, we're trusting in God's plan of sending Christ, who alone is our sacrifice for our sins. So, the point is to emphasize that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that we are to put our faith in him. And for those of us who do, we get in on this amazing blessing of God with us forever. So that's our first passage today. We're looking at John 14. It's a famous passage. It's one that we should know. Verse 6, again, is one that maybe you want to have memorized. But I want to look at two other Bible passages now that emphasize the unique nature of what Christ did for us when he died for us. So my second point today is that Christ alone can make us right with God. And what I want to do here is I want to look at some verses in the book of Hebrews. But before we jump right in, I want to do something that I hope is a little bit fun for you. Maybe it's a, a quick little side trip here. I want to give you a, a, a three-word summary of the book of Hebrews. So here's the idea. As, as we grow in our faith, we should be getting to know God's word. God has graciously given us his word. And one of the ways that we can do that is by understanding individual books of the Bible together. So it's, it's good to have like an overview of the Bible. It's good to know individual verses. But here I want to give you just a quick overview of the, ver of the book of Hebrews. And I want to do it by giving you three key words from the book. So some of you can maybe start to think, you know, what would those be in the book of Hebrews? Well, here, I'll give you my opinion. Three-word summary of the book of Hebrews. Number one is the word better. In the first nine chapters of Hebrews, Jesus is compared with other things and other people from what God had been doing in the Old Testament, and Jesus is shown to be better. So, for example, Jesus is shown to be superior to the angels. Jesus has greater honor than Moses. Jesus is the great high priest. He brought a better covenant, and he offered himself as the better sacrifice for our sins. So in all those things, Hebrews is laying out this idea that Jesus is better. And then the second key word in Hebrews, we're hyphenating it here, is once for all. And we'll get back to that one because that's the word I want to key in on in just a moment. But then our third key word from the book of Hebrews is the word faith. 
So Jesus has come. We are to put our faith in him. Chapter 11 lists all these people who lived by faith waiting for Jesus. And then we're told to live by faith. And then the book ends with a couple of chapters on how we can live by faith. So, so that's a quick outline of the book of Hebrews. But let's get back to this idea in the book of Hebrews then of, of once for all. We're looking at the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you were to flip, if you want to do this, you can flip there. I don't have these up on the screen. But in Hebrews 10, verses 3 through 4, it talks about the, the Old Testament sacrifices that were required. And think about this. Who required the sacrifices to be made? It was God, right? It wasn't just that these people came up with this idea of offering animals to sacrifice. It was God who asked for them to be made. But in Hebrews 10, 3 through 4, it calls those sacrifices an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the author of Hebrews is, is writing, looking back at those Old Testament sacrifices and acknowledging they could never take away our sins. And it's proven by the fact that they had to keep on being repeated. Day after day, year after year, they kept repeating those animal sacrifices. Now that stands in contrast to the once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus offered. So look at Hebrews 10.10 where it says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And the point of this section of Hebrews is that Jesus is the only sacrifice that can take away our sins. Even though those other sacrifices were good and God asked them to be made, they had to be repeated because they could not fully take away our sins. But when Jesus died on the cross for us, he could. And that was proven, by the way, in his resurrection. When he rose from the dead, he showed that he had power over sin and death and the devil. So that's why we say Christ alone is because there is no other way for our sins to be taken care of. God has already sent the once for all way for our sins to be taken care of and there's no other sacrifice that we need. In fact, Hebrews 10, 18, uh, I'll go back to 17. It says, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more and where these have been forgiven there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Christ alone he is the only sacrifice that we need. We all needed that cleansing. God sent it for us, and that is the only cleansing that we need. So that's my second point today, that Christ alone can make us right with God. So let's move on to our, our third point, and the question is, how should we continue to live? So let's say that we've recognized that we need Christ, that he's the only way, that only in him can we be cleansed from our sins. How should we go on living? Unfortunately, some people treat Jesus like he's a vaccine. You're familiar with the idea of vaccines, right? Let's, let's say chicken pox, for example. They have a vaccine for that now. Are, who missed out on the chicken pox vaccine? I did. So, you know, kids, you're, you're lucky. You didn't have to go through this if you got the chicken pox vaccine. But the idea is if you get that vaccine and it works, you will not get chicken pox. Even if you swam in like a vat of chicken pox, which I don't know what that would look like, you would not get chicken pox if you had the vaccine and it worked. Now, is that how it is with Jesus? We say, okay, sweet, he's my once-for-all sacrifice. That means that my sins are forgiven. Does that mean that I can go swim in a vat of sin? Uh, that I can just keep on living in sin because I'm covered? I, I think that that's what some people are banking on. Again, I've used this idea before. They've got the, the get-out-of-hell-free card in their wallet, 
and the, they figure they're going to pull that out when they need it at the gates of heaven. But as for the way that they're going to live the rest of their life, they're not living for Jesus. Well, that shouldn't be how we live. And the reason that I say that has to do with who Jesus is and how we are to receive him. Now, I made a similar point at our evening service last Sunday, uh, and I want to go through it again. There were some people who said, you should, you should give that as a Sunday morning service. So we're going to do a little bit of this here. Uh, and I want to start by looking at our benediction verses. So these are the verses that we say together every Sunday as we finish our worship service, either in the morning or in the evening. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, you still have to stay here, okay? We're not done. Um, usually we walk out the doors when we say that, but... Uh, my third point today is that we are to continue in Christ. And let me walk you through the logic from these verses. To receive Jesus Christ is to receive him as our Savior and Lord. Now, these verses don't mention Savior, but let, let's just think about that idea for a moment. Again, we were all sinners. We'd all fallen off the boat. We were all in need of being rescued. And the only way that we can be rescued is to receive Jesus as, as our Savior, to trust in what he did for us. So when we receive Jesus, we receive complete forgiveness of our sins. But, as this verse points out to us, we are also to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And as I've said here so many times, and I, when I repeat myself, it's either because I've forgotten I've said it or because it's really important. And this is one of those times where it's really important. That for Jesus to be Lord means that he's our master. Means that he is the one who is rightfully in control of our lives. And I like to think of it this way if he's Lord and Master, that means that I am not. So for me, the way I remember this working was that when I first prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I recognized that I was giving my life to him. And there was this moment of tension in my heart before that to say, okay, I recognize that God wants me to go this way, that I need to be forgiven, that he has a good plan for my life. But I also thought, what about my plans? And I remember thinking both, I have things that I might want to do that God doesn't want me to do, and there might be some things that God wants me to do that I don't want to do. So I remember thinking, what, what do I do here? Do I receive Jesus, or do I go my own way? And at that moment, praise the Lord, his message was so clear to me that day that I, I knew that it made no sense for me to keep my life. So I gave my life to Jesus. And I just want to urge you that um, some of you maybe when you first heard the gospel message, you didn't hear it like that, that you were to give your life to Jesus. Well, we are. We are to receive him as our Lord and our master. We are to lose our life for him. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So, I want you to picture somebody. They've come to understand that message, that they need Jesus, that he is Lord and master, and they give their lives to him. What are they doing at that moment? It's like they're turning over the keys to him, saying, you, you, you take it. Now, fast forward however many years it is. Are you still living like that? So for you, there, there was a moment where you came to know Jesus. Maybe you don't know exactly what that moment is, and, and that's okay, as long as you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. But the question I want to ask you is, are you still living with him as your Lord today? So actually, it's two questions that I want to get at here. The questions are, have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? 
And are you still walking with him as your Lord today? In fact, I think I have those as my application questions right there. Have you received Jesus? Are you still walking with Jesus as your Lord today? If you haven't received Jesus, I would just want to urge you to talk to God right now to recognize your need to be forgiven. And even in your heart right now, you can pray to receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. But then for those of us who have received him, I hope that your testimony isn't just that you would look back at your life and say, I did that however many years ago. I received Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I would hope that if you received him as your Lord, that you would be able to look at your life today and say, yes, he is still my Lord. That just as I gave my life to him, I now seek to live that out every day where he is my Lord and my Master, where I don't pretend to try to take over the ownership of my life, that I give that to Jesus and I keep walking with him. And if we go back to our verses, I'm just encouraged to know what, what Jesus will do in us, what God will do in us as we keep following Jesus. You see, we're to receive him as Lord and we are to continue to live in him. That's the phrase that I want to emphasize there, is that we are to continue to live with Jesus Christ as our Lord. But then look at verse 7. God will root us in Christ. He will build us up in Christ. He, he will strengthen us in the faith. Those three things powerful, powerful things that God will do in your life as you keep following Jesus. And, and what I said on uh, last Sunday night, I'll say again here, as we're talking about assurance of salvation, how do we know that we're saved? It happens as we keep walking with Jesus and we see God do these things in us to build us up in the faith, to strengthen us in our faith. Our part is to know Jesus and to keep walking with him. So that's where we get back to the application again. Have you received him are you still walking with Jesus as Lord today? So what if the answer is no to either of those questions? The first one, talk to Jesus right now. I've already mentioned that you can do that. But what if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I think I gave my, height, my heart, my life to Jesus a while ago, but I think I've kind of strayed away. I haven't been walking with him as my Lord the way that I should. What do you do with that? Just talk to God about it. Just repent just say, God, I recognize that the best path for me is the one in which I follow Jesus. Please forgive me for going my own way. Please strengthen me to walk on the path with Jesus Christ. And you know what? God will receive you. He is like that father in the prodigal son story with his arms open, uh, running to you to receive you back and to welcome you back as his child. Let me conclude my sermon this way. The goal of our lives is to be with God now and forever. This happens through Christ alone. Now, just to make myself abundantly clear, it doesn't mean Christ alone to the exclusion of the Father or of the Holy Spirit. No, it means that we emphasize God's plan to save us through Christ. Nor does it mean Christ alone to the exclusion of our need to put our faith in him. No, it, it, we're not suggesting that Jesus died and because he died then everybody just gets to be saved whether they receive him or not. No, we need to place our faith in him. That's our response to him. Nor am I saying Christ alone as if we don't need scripture. No, God has told us who Jesus is through his word and he continues to teach us how to live through his word. So what it means when we say Christ alone is that Christ alone is the way to God and the way to eternal life. That's what, 
So I'll put the, the five alones back up here. We look at, we're looking at Christ alone, that one in the middle today, and we need him. He is the only sacrifice, the only one who can cleanse us and give us eternal life. But our response is to be faith. Our response is to keep trusting in Scripture. Our response in, in regard to grace alone is that we would recognize that God did this for us. It is a, the word grace means gift. Remember that one. That's going to be a pop quiz question uh, when we get to that sermon. It's a gift of God that he would do this for us. And all of this is meant to result in glory to God alone. So for our part, we trust in Jesus. We were to trust in him at the beginning of our faith journey, and we are to trust in him every moment of every step of the rest of the way. So, again, I ask you, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And are you still walking with him as your Lord today? Do you still recognize your need for him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus for us because we recognize that we were sinners and we needed a Savior. We thank you, God, that in love you made the way for us. Jesus, we praise you that you are the way. And God, I pray that every one of us here would know Jesus and would keep walking with him, that we would continue to live with him as our Lord, that you would root us and build us up in Christ, that you would strengthen us in the faith, and that we would be people who overflow with thankfulness as we continue to trust in Jesus. So God, please show us what's going on in our hearts. Help us to know what sins we should turn away from and how we can build our lives on Christ. Thank you, God, for sending exactly who we needed so that we could be cleansed and forgiven and so that we could spend eternity with you. And we pray this in the name of the one you sent, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.